Rabbi Kevin, I've been on television numerous times, been interviewed uh, everywhere, and this is the first time I've had cocktails brought to me by the interview host. So what would you say are, let's, I'll pick kind of a three, yes. the three most important factors mm -hmm. someone should consider or a couple should consider mm -hmm. as they're you know, working on their, their estate plan. Who are you and where are you going? What do you want? Together we'll find the ideal path on The Way to Wow Show with your host, Kevin Bemmel. We tend to think about finances as being our job or our business. One of the overlooked areas is what happens with our money after we die. And so on this episode of The Way to Wow Show, I've asked my friend Jeff Condon, who's a trust and estate planning attorney, to come in and talk to us about that so we can at least get some kind of idea about what we ought to be thinking in that particular aspect of the realm of finances. But before we do that, I'm going to talk to our bartender, Hendo, and he's going to mix up a cocktail. So, what do have, what have, what have you got planned here? Kevin, we're going to be making an El Matador. Uh, this is a fantastic liquor-forward uh, cocktail that involves uh, some curacao, dry vermouth, and tequila. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. It's sort of a weird martini almost. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, one of those three kind of uh, element cocktails that you got, like your Negronis, your Boulevardiers, and all that sort of right. stuff. So, right. Do you like all, any of those kind of drinks, those kind of liquor yeah, forward yeah, drinks? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. love, them, love them all. But, but you know, I'm not a good judge because I'll drink anything. <laughs> and that's what I like about you, mate. That's wonderful. So there's going to be two of you, correct? Uh, yes. Uh huh. All right. So we're going to do two ounces of each. So we've got some Curacao right there. So we've got two ounces of that. Great. And what is your favorite drink, mate? Boy, you know, it really depends on the mood. I mean, sometimes yeah. there's nothing that'll beat just a traditional martini. Mm -hmm. Other times, like if I'm just making dinner, I'll have a, you know, whiskey and soda. Mm -hmm. um, but then, you know, some of the things that the bartenders on the show have come up with, I never would have ever thought to, I'm, the first time I had a Negroni was was, was on the show. And it was, oh, was it? Yeah, and we've, we've had actually two or three different kind of Riffs on Negronis, they've all been great. Um, that's fantastic. Uh, um, do, do you know, if you know Diane Quinones, she made one with, uh, with Mezcal. Really? That was really fantastic, so. I like making one, uh, it's called a Regan's Negroni, and you do it with, instead of Campari, you're gonna be doing it with um, Jägermeister. Oh. And because it's all herbal, basically, and that is the correct way to say it, herbal, because there's an H in the, in the word. Um, <laughs> there's, uh, it, it brings it all out, it lets it breathe, where Campari, I've always found a bit one note, so uh, it's a nice way to kind of make it breathe more. So if, you ever, ah. if you're ever, if you ever in a pub, they've got tons of Jäger that no one's touching since the early 2000s. So please go and uh, have a Regan's Negroni. Regan's it's named after Regan from the uh, the Orange Bitters, if you know uh, your your bitters. Oh, sure, sure, so, sure. Uh huh. And uh, but this one, this one was fantastic because I always wanted a kind of a white liquor-based three-ingredient cocktail, mm -hmm. and uh, discovered this one, and I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, and we met a long time ago at Lost Property, didn't we? Oh, that's right. That's right. Oh my gosh. Where I hang out with your friend Michael still That's to right. Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I haven't been there for quite some time. Oh, we've missed you. Yeah, yeah. Gotta start coming back. Exactly. Well, we're all open up and it's uh, 
be a lot of fun to see you again. I know Michael's uh, making his a regular patronage to the oh, bar good, as well. Oh, good, good. Yeah, exactly. Well, he's holding up the side. He, he really is. So, although uh, your your interesting conversations that you guys have <laughs> in depth, you know, always wonderful to see you guys debate the meanings of the universe and whatnot. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we. I'm not sure we've we've uh, actually solved any problems yet, but uh, you know, we like to think we have. And of course, with you know your libations. Uh, Loosening, up, loosening us, loosening us up. Yeah. Exactly. I like I to think I can contribute to. How many Negronis in are we today? Uh, no, you know. We're just starting off. We're just starting off. We're yeah. just kicking off. Yes. So, well, they, that's what we told them to the camera, isn't it? So, <laughs> yes. We, we don't have to know the truth. Nor the sirens. That's just immigration coming for me. There we go. <laughs> there we are. Don't take him until after the shot's done. I'm a green card. Leave me alone. So made it myself. All right, there we go. All yours, mate. Excellent. These are for you, the El Matador, or El Matador, not El. the the Matador. Right. There you go. El Matador. El Matador. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thank you. How do you optimize your finances? Well, isn't this nice? Yeah. So Hendo made these for me. This is this is an El Matador, and uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm usually not afraid of a cocktail, but I, you know, this could this could be an adventure. Rabbi Kevin, I've been in, on television numerous times, been interviewed uh, everywhere, and this is the first time I've had cocktails brought to me by the interview host. So this is not only a novel experience because of the setting that we're in right now, which is terrific, but that I'm getting alcohol too, well, this is just the best day ever. Oh, there you go. Oh, thank you so much. So, <laughs> cheers. Cheers. Right? Yeah. Just a little sip. Mm. Yeah, refreshing, huh? Nice. God, that is nice. Well, hello, so, hello. Hello, hello. Hello, Gosh, hello. You know, I think we've known each other a long, long time, I, I, but haven't, I haven't seen you in years. Well, and years and years. you know, as members of the tribe, we all know each other. Well, that's, that's you true. Know, we're, we're just, you know, instead of, hello, nice to meet you, it's, hello, nice to see you again. Right, right. nice to see you again. Right. So I'm going to read a short biography about you so, uh, so the folks know who you are, and, yeah. and you know, we'll, we'll have a little chat. Sounds good. Jeff Condon has practiced trust in estates law for over 32 years in Santa Monica kind of a sitting right next door to Los Angeles where he was born and raised. Correct, native. So, native, mm -hmm. native too, although I was born in Whittier. I was born in East LA. <laughs> Watch yourself. <laughs> oh, you, you can, afterwards you can buy me a burrito at El Tepec and have the Hollenbeck. That's the big burrito they have that's very well oh, known that, in, in, uh, in, in, in Los Angeles. Yes, oh, okay. yes well, exactly. See. There you go. You, you, you just... No, actually, that's an East L.A. thing. Oh, oh well, see, uh, I haven't yeah, been there in a long, yeah. long time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he has written over 100 articles on the subject of, of trust and estate law, spoken on 70 radio call-in shows, and at 300 talks and seminars throughout the country. That's That's... That's impressive, to say the least. I like to hear myself talk. Okay, well, you know. His first book, Beyond the Grave, The Right Way and the Wrong Way of Leaving Money to Your Children and Others, was published in 1996, updated twice since then, and which the Wall Street Journal called, quote, the best estate planning book in America, unquote is the best-selling inheritance-related book in American publishing history, mm -hmm. by far. Mm -hmm. 
on a on a personal note, Jeff is an avid swimmer who use among who uses among other things the Culver City Plunge. I have a buddy who swims there all the time. Mm -hmm. It's just down the street from us here in our 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 new studio location in Culver City. And you are engaged to the lovely Kimberly Claskin. That is correct. And uh, as I step out the front door of this storefront and I look to the left, I can see our uh, wedding site for uh, May of next year. It's at the Culver Hotel. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Oh, that's a great venue. She likes Art Deco. <laughs> she has a woman with good taste. She likes Art Deco and you. Uh, I won't argue with you there. Okay. <laughs> yeah, be, be, be careful. As a rabbi, I can claim to have a direct line to God. I'm not saying I do, but I can claim it. <laughs> More so than anybody else walking, on, walking around. I'm not so sure, but, but anyway, but thank you. But of course. So, so why should we, we be worried about estate planning? You know, that's a good question because a lot of people are not. Some people will just, you know, uh, what's the term, uh, befall this mortal coil and not have any plan at all uh, that they've created during their lifetime to direct who gets what when they die and how they get it. And that's fine. That's just one way to roll. But the thing is this, when you don't set forth your inheritance instructions in a will or living trust, most of these days it's a living trust, you don't have your instructions set forth, a lot of people don't realize that the law sets up those instructions for you. Mm. By not making a decision, you've made a decision, and that this, even inadvertently, and that decision is that you've allowed the law, whatever's uh, in the California statutes, uh, dictate who gets what on your death, and the law doesn't know what you have in mind. So if um, you're married to a second wife and you have three children from your first marriage, mm -hmm. uh, and then you die, but in your intention was that you would ha like to have most of your assets go to your children from your first marriage? Well, no, they have to share a significant portion with your second wife. So it's important to have a plan mm -hmm. that dictates your instructions as to what you want to happen with your stuff, your real estate your bank assets, brokerage assets, pedigree dogs and cats, whatever you have, mm -hmm. um, to your children and other heirs, your spouses, your grandchildren, your charities, but in a way that doesn't create conflict and divisiveness between your family members after you die. Okay. Um, I think we Jews have a saying, and that saying is that one of the the great lessons that we want to teach our children is to do no harm. Mm. And you do harm to your children and they learn that harm has been done. If you leave your assets to, your, to them in a way that creates conflict and chaos and jealousies between them. You know, it's, it's, it, it's interesting what you're saying. So when I was still in the real estate business, what seems like, you know, another, a lifetime ago, mm -hmm. I worked for a conservator and one of their clients was an elderly woman, mm -hmm. and she had a house, and she had a bunch of securities. Mm -hmm. And the way her will was set up was once one child was gonna get the house, and the other was gonna get the securities. All the cash was spent mm -hmm. supporting her, and now the, the conservator needed more money for her, because she was still alive, mm -hmm. 
and the children were fighting over whether the house got sold or whether the securities got sold because mm -hmm. whichever one got sold, the other one was getting zero. That's um, and, and she wasn't even dead yet, and they were fighting over the assets. Yeah, that's 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 a poor plan. That's uh, dying with a bad plan, or living with a bad plan. The fact in, in that scenario, it sounds like to me that the the inheritance instrument said certain assets to A, certain assets to right. B. That's right. That's exactly okay. what it said. But if asset if the assets going to A is not there, are not there at the time of the death of that lady of the client, then those children have been cut out of an inheritance. And now they may put pressure on their siblings to part with their share because it's not fair. Mm -hmm. And this is the, the, the most, the, if, if there's a greatest hit about how to do no harm in an inheritance plan, is to be sure that it's structured in a way that it treats everybody fairly and takes into account the fact that if you leave certain assets to certain children, uh, what happens if those, if those certain assets are not around at the time of the death of that, uh, of that client? Mm -hmm. So um, you do have these situations where, like you said, there, there is nothing around for those certain children, and that's life in the big city for them, because mm -hmm. the plan obviously wasn't done that well. Right. So you have to take all these factors into account so what would you say are, let's, I'll pick kind of a three, yeah. the three most important factors mm -hmm. someone should consider or a couple should consider mm -hmm. as they're you know, working on their, their estate plan? Okay. Um, you know, I've talked about this for so many years and in so many different contexts, but, and there's you know, a billion issues to deal with. And you know, uh, uh, when we wrote these books, you know, it took us years to write because we had to condense them all into life's lessons that people can not only uh, understand but hopefully enjoy. Because, you know, quite frankly, you know, this can be a very boring topic. You know, I mean, the you know, it's here, you know, it's, it's about death and taxes and all that. But, uh, but I like to th uh, to think that I can distill this down into some core essence lessons. And you've asked me about that. And the first one, and I've alluded to it before, is you want to be sure that the inheritance plan that you have, that mom and dad have, does no harm between their kids. How do you do harm? Well, if, you, if their children are not treated financially fairly mm -hmm. in the inheritance plan. Now, maybe that's sometimes it's pretty easy to do. You just simply say, hey, mom and dad have three kids. Leave everything to them equally. Boom, boom, boom. Done. Jeff, move on. What's what? You know, what else is there to talk about? Well, there are ways that mom and dad can inadvertently create financial unfairness between the kids. Mm. The most common way is if mom and dad treated the children financially unfairly during their lives, during mom and dad's lives, mm. and then they go ahead and have a plan that leaves everything to them equally. Well, from the parents' point of view, they're just doing their thing. They're leaving everything equal, okay? But from the kids' point of view, it's unequal because during mom and dad's lifetime, they got unequal shares of, of uh, unequal gifts. So maybe uh, Dr. David, who went to Stanford, under, uh, Stanford undergraduate and Stanford Medical School, got 250000 whereas one sibling got $5,000 and another sibling didn't get anything. 
those gifts, even though one would say they have nothing to do with the inheritance plan, mm. they do because it's relevant to the children. Now, when mom and dad are making a gift to a child, they're not thinking about, you know, keeping track, keeping score. They're just trying to, to help a child when that child needs help. Right. But the ones who are keeping a scorecard are the children. Now, this is something that, you know, they don't teach you in law school. This is not something we recognize on the first day of our estate planning practice. This is the thing that comes up after clients die. And we had no idea that would transpire until we saw the reality of money uh, uh, impacted on, a, uh, uh, on the children. Mm -hmm. And this is something that we didn't think was relevant, but it absolutely is. So my job is to point out, is to, is to ask the question to the parents, hey, have you given substantially more to any uh, of your kids during, their life, uh, during your lifetime? Uh, no, that's fine. Yes, okay, let's talk about it and let's see if you want to equalize. Give them the choice. We explain to them the potential consequences of upheaval between the kids because they're going to put pressure on each other to equalize. Mm -hmm. And you know, what do you think the child who, who got more during a lifetime is going to say you know, as he you know, freezes out his siblings and the once close relationship between the siblings is never more and not only do the kids not talk to each other, but the grandkids don't talk to each other and they have no idea why. So the point is we recognize the issue and then we can try to resolve the problem. Um, I know we don't have enough time to talk about all the solutions, right. but recognizing the problem is 95% of that problem solution. Um, that's, so think about all of the lifetime gifts that you've made to your kids and see if this is something that you feel could arise after your death to, um, to put your children in a, in a world of conflict and chaos. Um, another, another way that your inheritance plan can be written so that it does no harm. The mom and dad come in, we say, make sure you account for all loans that you made to your children during your lifetime. Mm. Because if you have, mom and dad have two kids and everything goes to them equally, but during the lifetime, uh, dad and mom, they made a $50,000 loan to their son, didn't make a similar loan to their daughter. And now when both mom and dad die, when everything goes to those two kids in equal shares, everything includes the note and the obligation that's supposedly due. So now you not only have a sibling relationship between these two kids, of course it's siblings, but you have a money relationship. Mm -hmm. You have one child who is a debtor to the other child because now that debtor child has to repay half that loan plus the, uh, the interest and penalties and compound or whatever to the other child. And the other child's not gonna let the debtor child slide, and, you know, most of the time. Right. So that could, you know, you know, hey, you can't enforce that loan against me. It's been 20 years. The statute of limitations is, uh, has run. And then, but we're not talking courtroom justice here. We're talking family justice, and that, that family justice has been breached. And another way, oh, so again, recognize the issue and come up with ways in the inheritance plan to resolve it. There are ways. Mm -hmm. And I would say the third thing that you should have in your inheritance plan that does no harm um, to, your, to your children is it's not just, not just treat your children financially fairly, but also give them the power equally to. Mm. And what I'm talking about is naming 
all of your children as your after-death agents to carry out the inheritance instructions. In a living trust, those after-death agents are called successor trustees. If it's a will, it's co-executors, but no, not too many people use wills these days. So you want to name, if you have three kids, name all of them to be the delivery boys to carry out these instructions. Because if mom and dad, like a lot of folks, say, well, too many cooks spoil the broth, so I'm just going to pick one of them. Or, you know, the other two, they're on the other side of the country, or one's, you know, in the Peace Corps in New Guinea. And uh, one's more qualified than the others. Man, they wouldn't know anything about money to save their lives. So I'm just going to name one. And the other two, you know, we're just, you know, they, forget it. You know, they, you know, they'll get their share. And that's the conventional thinking. And that's what we used to think until we saw what happened after both mom and dad died. And what we saw was the out-of-power siblings making the life of the in-power sibling completely miserable with questions of where's our share? You know, uh, why haven't you given us a call? We haven't heard anything. And in a vacuum, there's suspicion. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that in-control sibling, that, that, that sole trustee sibling has a lot of power, the power to decide what each of their shares will consist of, what attorneys are going to be used, what CPAs are going to use. Um, you know, it, it can get into a, a real storm of, of conflict that leads ultimately to court, even if there's no there there. And I've seen more families break up over this one issue than anything else. So if anybody's going to walk away from this, uh, you know, from this, uh, this, 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 pro this program, I would say if you have a living trust that names just one out of your children to be the after-death agent, you should really have that amended to name them all, unless you have a really, really good reason that you can sell me on. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you've got 12 kids. That's a lot. Maybe one kid's on drugs. Maybe you haven't seen one kid in 20 years. You know, I talk a lot in sweeping generalizations, but there's always exceptions. So do no harm in your inheritance plan is the numero uno um, lesson that uh, I would like to convey, and I think I hopefully have conveyed to uh, your viewers today. So un unfortunately, we're out of time, but mm -hmm. and I think we've really only scratched the surface. Mm -hmm. But you know, when I when I talk to guests, I say, you know, ha let's let's have a central idea that viewers can take away, mm -hmm. and and yours really captured that. You know, the idea of do no harm. We think of that in terms of doctors, mm -hmm. but I think it applies in a lot of areas of life. And the idea of in your estate plan, in the transfer of your assets after death. The mm -hmm. first thing to consider is do no harm. Mm -hmm. What are all the ways that can happen and try to avoid them? Exactly. To protect and preserve the family in the inheritance arena is a most worthy and uh, important goal. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Rabbi Kevin. Thank you so much. Jeff Condon came on the show to talk about finances, but I think he brought a whole new perspective to it. We think of money as being its own little world, but it affects our relationships, our family, our friends, especially after we die. What we do with our money says things to people that we may not have ever intended. So all the pillars of the three pillars of achievement work together. Let's remember Jeff's central piece of advice, do no harm. For those of you who remember the original Star Trek show, that message probably resonates with you. It, it bears repeating. Let's do no harm with our estate planning, with our lives in general.
courage at all times, my friends. Marie, you're still my belle. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.